1: They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery, like McKenna, brings a top tier lineup. With Leaf Davis esque delivery right to your door, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery.
2: Hello and welcome to the Blue Monday podcast. The grown-ups have left the children in charge of the keys to the sweet shop. What were they thinking? Joe, how are you, my friend?
3: Yeah, I'm good. I, I have just warned you in the um, preamble in the green room that I've got a bit of a sore throat, so if I am um, die on camera, I'll try and make sure I mute my microphone before I do so. So just keep an eye out for that.
2: So this, this live podcast is brought to you by Strepsils or Locket? Halls. Halls, they are rival. Don't say halls, so for God's sake. Um, yeah, okay. So as you can see, it's just Joe and I this evening. We're here for a bit of a chat. Um, if if you're around, please get involved. Drop us a drop us a message, even if it's just to say hello and ask us if we're uh, if we're drowning. Um, if if my uh, if this goes viral, because my my head starts like lolling around, like one of those civilians in a in a jet fighter going 360 or something then uh, then everyone everyone log off and we'll get somehow to get rich to jump on and, uh, and close things down but uh, so obviously we're here to discuss mark ashton really and his his role um he strolled into town today didn't he? he looked very relaxed the sun was shining um had a very fulsome fulsome beard um the way the bristol city fans Talked about him, you'd think that you know the clouds were going to suddenly enclose on Portman Road like something out of Ghostbusters, and thunder and lightning would start uh, start appearing. But he um he met with the fan zones, he met with the fan zones. He met with the the staff in the fan zone just to sort of allay any fears, early doors, and um, communicate to them what the plan was, get them all on board. Um, and then he sat with the club, did a video uh and then sat with the sat with the press including our friend phil at twtd who's got um a good half a dozen or so i think stories with the with pretty much the full transcript of of what was uh of what was said by by mark ashton um in his introduction really so joe without going into too much details we'll do that in a little bit what were your first impressions on uh on the new man
3: well, he's an impressive-sounding guy, isn't he? I think that's to be expected. He's obviously a very polished talker. He's been a CEO for a number of years at a championship club, so that shouldn't surprise any anyone, really. But I'd say the, the key thing I took away from it was the fact that they these, the three Lions, Paul Cook, they all seem to talk up the football club, where, as sort of fans, we've listened to the football club being talked down for a number of years, and... I don't think people realise how special a club we've got sitting on our doorstep. In some cases, it's still a big club. It's still a well-respected club in the football community. It's still a big fan base. It's still a club that people talk about reverentially. And it's not just the fans that think that it is generally in the game. And you just look at the way that we've been able to attract some of the, uh, the first, the buyers, the manager in Paul Cook to drop down to League One when he'd just done a good championship job. And now Mark Ashton, who had a very good job at Bristol City there sort of a club that on the up in the championship working for one of a very wealthy owner and seemingly uh, until this season going in the right direction so it's sort of been a bit a big coup all round.
2: well yeah so as you say obviously you know we're not we're not stupid they they know what um what buttons to press they know what what things to say and obviously owners came in and said the right things didn't they Relating to size of club and history and things like that. But, you know, Mark Ashton was comparing us to to West Brom and he was he's saying he looked around the, the memorabilia and looked at the the walls around the club and bits and pieces like that. And he said himself, didn't he? It's a club that's, was it, that's very dear to the football industry's heart was one of the one of the things he actually said, wasn't it?
3: Well, yeah Ipswich has always been a club I think back to the sort of old Etonian days of the Cobbles and Sheepshanks where it's always been a great place for away directors and away players to come to because of the facilities because of the standards because of the atmosphere around the place and we do seem to have lost that in in recent years of the Evans ownership where things have just been cut back further and further and further and now just with some of the stuff he was saying it seems that we're rather than trying to put the um, we're sort of trying to put the cart before the horse, and or which, whichever way around that saying goes, that we're actually trying, <laughs> trying to get things done correctly before, rather than sort of hoped can we can get to the Premier League and then invest. It's now the other way: we need to invest in the infrastructure around the club and then get to the Premier League.
2: So, do you reckon? Do you reckon that's involved with his reasonings to move? You know, why why move? Why you're getting paid a decent wedge at Bristol City? Obviously, we assume he's going to get paid an equivalent some here um it can't all be down to money though
3: no it's, it's it's a strange one isn't it because on paper it does seem sort of baffling to move it he was sort of one very highly paid there he was working for steve lands down there who is mr bristol pumping a load of money into the football club the rugby club um just the city in general and he sort of decided to step away from that so it's, it's hard to know why but he's obviously been working with these owners sort of in the background for a long time, the 14 months or so they've been looking at Ipswich. I think it's fair to say that he'd been identified (coughs) as their man and he's he's one that is sort of key to their vision of how to run a club. So you assume there must be more on offer to him if he can, whether and generally it's going to come down to a financial package plus an authority deal. So he's obviously been given serious authority. He's must be given a serious financial package as well, and you know, maybe maybe there's more to it in the future if if things do do well. He he may take a a sort of stake of the ownership or, or something yeah. like that.
2: I suppose a lot of it, it there's um you know it's pretty much a clean sheet of paper, isn't it? I suppose, and if if he himself said he's you know, and I'm sure there are Bristol City fans which which who may disagree with us, but he said that he's a, a builder. Are the words that he said and. Crikey, if I know a lot of people have referred to the project and things like that, but you know, if you if you're going to want a project and you're going to want to build something, then you know you're walking into this club with pretty much a, a blank sheet of paper and a little bit of cash behind you.
3: Yeah, there's a comment on there from A. H. Robbins' talk saying he stepped away because the fans didn't take to Ashton anymore. I think the one, further down than that, but it just doesn't seem to me that that could be the case because this has obviously been going on for so long and this was going on towards the back end of the Lee Johnson era. And it seems most of the criticism for Ashton has come since he gave Dean Holden the job in the summer. And it was seen as a, as a potential um, sort of appointment that, put a lot more sort of power in his court as opposed to having a a manager in that could potentially take them to the next level. So it seems to be going on from there. But like Paul has commented there about sort of the fans being delighted to get rid of him. But but I say, I remember Bristol City five years ago being a sort of – I remember watching them in the Johnson's Pay Trophy final at Wembley. So you're talking a League One club and they seem – every window you look at their business and I think, yeah, they've, they've actually done some decent business here. They've, they've bought players well. They've, they've sold them on very well. They're, they've bought players through the sort of academy seems to have stepped up and gone from there. So it's it's, diffi- it's difficult to know what is, I, I yeah. know, I think it may be just a case of boredom almost that he's been there for so long. What's the, how can you step it forward? And he, he maybe wasn't able to take that final step.
2: Yeah, because, it, you know, there obviously was a breakdown of, relationships between Ashton and the fans, Oh you know far more, I'll use the word vitriolic, but far, far more intense than it was ever with us with Clegg or with Milne. And, you know, arguably we, I appreciate they weren't in such a high powered position in terms of being able to make decisions, but, you know, we probably had more to grumble with at, at those guys and at Evans than seemingly from the outside looking in um, that Bristol city guys did with, with Ashton.
3: Yeah, well, I think the, I think the dif- difference here was Clegg and um, Milne. No one ever really knew what authority they did have. Where Mark Ashton is very much front and center of what Bristol City did. Where Steve Lansdowne is sort of the man in the background, and he's got so many other interests, sort of in the city and with his companies that it was known that Mark Evans was the one driving the ship. Where Ipswich, has never been, it's never been that case. Marcus Evans has always been the boss with whatever time he's willing to put. F- Put to um towards it, so it's a. I say it's a, it's a strange situation, but I think sometimes a club needs to change, and I think that's where maybe Bristol City have got to. But bar this year, they've been very upwardly mobile as a club, sort of off the pitch, if maybe not so, on the pitch over the last five years. And like I say, you look every time I've been back to Ashton Gate, it's it's improved every time I've been back there. And like I, say, I was there for a game, a couple of years ago, and it's stayed afterwards to watch the game in the big screen in in the pitch um sorry um in in the bar stadium it. bar yeah. and, it, and it's it's massive and it's just i remember going back there when we beat them on the first day of the season and the stand we were in when michael chopper scored two so what must have been what 2011 2012 around that time and it was just a it was a, almost like wooden ramshackle cow shed almost we were in at that point and to see to see what it is now it's a Club that's made huge progress over the last ten years, where we've just gone absolutely backwards.
2: Yeah, and I think I think that's that's the point, isn't it? Is that you know Bristol City are looking at it from from a different perspective, aren't they? They're looking at it from a from a place here and maybe seeing a, a downturn over the last year, eighteen months, however that however whatever their time scale is. Whereas we're looking at it, you know, when I think I looked up early when Ashton took over January what, five and a half years ago, wasn't it? Whatever my maths will be sixteen. Fifteen, fifteen. Um, they were in the down the bottom, if not in the relegation places in the championship. We were top three, top four. You know, so over though over those five over those five years, you look at the, if you look at the two clubs and their trajectories, they haven't been going in the same direction. You can sort of therefore understand why we, as a fan base, are slightly more excited by the well to be fair, Bristol City, I think, are pretty excited by our appointment. But, you know, you, you can sort of understand why we are seeing it from a from a different perspective as they are. Because I noticed that there were – sorry, mate. I just noticed that there were – there was a – I think it was the Bristol Post maybe had an, an article with, you know, the pros and cons of him leaving today. And it seemed that – and again, you know, A.H. Robbins' talk will shoot us down. But it seemed that they seemed to downplay his involvement in the things that went well over the past and overstated his importance in the things that have gone badly. And as you say, the fulcrum of it seems to have been that, that manager appointment last summer, which, which took too long and, you know, potentially with Hugh and a few, a few others on the market, obviously turned out to be the wrong one.
3: Mm. And I think it's, it's almost like one of the things that Mark Ashton was saying today and talking about Luke Warhorn and Mike O'Leary, it's just that this is a seven day a week, 24 hour a day job he likes the guys that he's brought with them because they know that you don't have holidays. You work Saturdays and Sundays. You you have to commit your life to running this club if you're the CEO. And with over the last few years, we've had Marcus Evans running the club two days a month decisions. We've, we spoke about them on the pod before where every small, minute decision is having to go by Evans. And he's just a massive block on... Everything running, and, and we're slow in the transfer market. We're we're slow everywhere because we just are not organised. And you you look around the stadium, you look at the community stuff, and people like Leo Neil have sort of tried hard to get those things back up and running. But the club has been ground sort of sort of into the well, sort Fred, of been threadbare. Fred Bear pushed into the ground. I sort of people tell me there's been more Marcus Evans staff working at Portman Road offices than there has been Ipswich Town staff over the years. And it's just I say you see the amount of people that are coming in and we're actually getting back to the sort of structure that a championship club should have. And, and Mark Ashton is a vastly experienced CEO in the game and it's 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 what we've needed since probably Derek Bowden left.
2: Well, and and as he said, you know, and as you alluded to there, he's he's moved house already. You know, he's moved, he's moved the family over. And as you said, I've got the quotes here. I don't know who this is aimed at particularly. You can't run football clubs remotely. And I passionately believe that. You've got to be all in, totally committed, and it's long hours. This isn't a job. This is a way of life. That's, yeah. As you say, that's just what we've needed, isn't it?
3: Yeah, and that is what that's a football club does need. It's seen. It's seen as a – this isn't – I know the businesses are relatively small when you look at turnover compared to sort of – tesco's compared to a league one football club even like a small local company probably turns over more than a football club but they're so high profile they're so in the public eye you can't just i say we've had so many situations in the past where the club have made a baffling decision like with regards to automatically taking money from people for academy donations and you can't get a statement out of the club they just sit there and let it go away season tickets going up from 60 to 65 and things like that and um what, what can you do you just have to you just have you need a face you need a communicator you yeah. need
2: someone yeah. there there hasn't been anyone there hasn't been anyone for us to it's been a bit as you say it's been faceless hasn't it and you know if and as you say again even if we have been able to get hold of someone we all knew that they had very little say in the in the matter or you know, very little ability or weren't empowered to make any changes in any case
3: no, and it, it was just like who's who's drawn the short straw. Who's going to have to go out and do the media round and just try and defend an indefensible decision and, and just wait for, wait for that decision to go away.
2: Yeah, and take the inevitable insults and brickbats that uh, that come on the back of it. As as this chap here, who's this? Ips Ips Rich, it says there. Well, hello to you, whoever Ips Rich is. Um, do we need to understand the CEO role better? It's easy to blame them for everything when things go wrong, when they're chiefly a facilitator rather than a doer. Well, you know, we'll talk We'll talk a little bit about it later on, but, you know, ha- having that structure in place is obviously key. And, you know, as, as you alluded to a bit before, what it seemed to be from Bristol City fans perspective, there was a bit of a power grab um, from Ashton who maybe did want to take on more of a, a hands-on um I'm going to use the word dictatorship at, at Bristol City, whereas here it looks like there are a, f- a fair few people to uh, to, uh, to delegate to, should we say?
3: Yeah, it's uh, but ultimately the the buck stops with the CEO. With the with the Americans, they have Mark Ashton in charge to run the club for them on their behalf. And yes, there's a board for him to report into, but he he is going to be. He, he he is responsible for everything that happens at the football club now. If the club is performing, if the club isn't performing well on the pitch, then it is going to be down to him as well as the manager because he's the one who has, well, not put the manager in charge, but has kept the manager in charge. So it's a very, it's a very big, responsible job he's got now, and he and he's got to make it work. And he he is, you can you can see from the spending and the infrastructure, he has been given the money to make that work. So. He has to do so. He, but ultimately, if, if there becomes a power struggle between Paul Cook and Mark Ashton, there's only one person that's going to win that, and it isn't going to be Paul Cook.
2: Yeah. Well, as as Daryl refers to here, you know, it'll be an interesting side event next season, watching us basically comparing us um, to Bristol City without without looking at boring stuff like balance sheets and um, profit and loss accounts in a eighteen months time. Um, but that is. You know, without going into the boring stuff, that is the reason why he has also been brought in. Not only has he got the knowledge of English football, which Marcus Evans didn't have, um, Simon Clegg didn't have, Ian Milne didn't have, um, he's got that, but he's also got a proven track record of doing the boring stuff, like increasing turnover, increasing revenue, which for the longer we find ourselves in League One becomes ridiculously important.
3: Well yeah with this salary cap linked to turnover you've got to get like you can't just focus on like we like we did under Mick McCarthy where we focused purely on the pitch you can't do that you have to focus on every area and you have to give each area its its due you have to get the commercial side right you have to get the community side right you have to get the academy right there's there's not an area that you can just say that's not important because everything is important if you want the club to be going in the right direction and they they seem to they seem to know that they they seem well Mark Ashton seems to be aware that you can't just let any area slide and ultimately we we all know what goes on on the pitch is going to be the barometer of how successful he is in his job that is there's there's no two ways around that but he's got to. He's got to get everything else right at the same time as that, and you you can't just focus on that and let everything else slide, which is what we were probably guilty of for a few years in in our probably most successful years in the Marcus Evans area. Everything slid for the whole year the whole era, but for a few years we did actually have success on the pitch, and that almost became a false economy in that it sort of showed Evans that you could have you could yeah. succeed on a shoestring, shoe string. yeah if you trust the manager and the manager's right, but sort of not every manager is Mick McCarthy and not every manager is able to get so much out of so little. And as it showed by the end of it, that isn't sustainable because the way you have to play, if you're a small team in the league, is you have to play the percentages and that's what we ended up doing. And the fans had had enough of it.
2: Yeah. So one of the things he talked about, or one of the many things he talked about, he talked about community. And I think, I think it was the, I follow, um, the initial i follow interview where forgive me i don't know if it was dan or if it was jacob that did it but they were they were saying that he's or well, the clubs he's been at have won the community club of the year award you know when it, when he's been in charge not saying it's every year but they've certainly won it in the years he's been in charge what what do we think he can do in that respect obviously there's the the new guys the the americans have been talking bigging that up you no, know, in pretty much every single interview, is community and getting the kids involved, etc. What what are we expecting him to be able to do in that respect? Quick wins.
3: Well, it it sounds like his his job when he sort of gave a sort of plotted history of his career. It was at West Brom. He came in as as the community working in that sort of community trust team and working that side. But there's there's a lot of things that could be done. Like you look at you look at the Junior Blues, for example. My my children, I've joined my children to the Junior Blues. When, when the pack came out, I sent the pack off. I've never had the return pack from it. And it's now, oh, kids will get a free membership for next year. It's like, well, yeah, because they haven't had one this year because it was never sent out. And I think the Junior Blues person has been on furlough for the majority this year. And it's just it's just the sort of case of, knowing that you need to invest in areas to actually get the best of it you can't you can't just cut things and expect things to work actually spending a bit of money on things is an investment where we seem to be in a position where we would cut every corner where we could and sort of just bleed everything dry where now it i say it's just investing a little bit in the community trust invest investing getting out into schools giving tickets away in schools trying to Get, get more kids going. They've kept the under-19s and under-12s tickets, I think, free for those who paid last year. They've moved those over. But just actually making Ipswich Town the club of the county again, because it, it always has been and it always will be, but actually getting into schools, getting people doing visits, getting into hospitals like they do at Christmas and just the, just the simple low-hanging fruit, there's plenty of it to, to pick up because we have been very, very poor in that regard for a long time.
2: You saying in terms of investment and stuff like that but that's that was one of the things just moving on slightly from the community um, aspect he was talking about match day you know he doesn't want people queuing up for a beer he wants the beer to be cold you know the, this is things that people just desperate desperate to hear isn't it next thing we'll be having contactless payment at the bars um but things like that we're not asking asking for the world this isn't cutting edge 21st century technology that we're we're asking for. It's just rudimentary stuff that football fans historically just accept that you know they're gonna have to leave leave at half time ten minutes early to queue up in time to get a flat warm lager. But so he, he spoke about that. He spoke about the stadium, he spoke about the pitch was a big one, wasn't it? Yeah, the pit the digital signage. But you know the modernization of the um, of the ground he spoke about and and the pitch uh, he's talked quite at, at some length didn't he about the pitch
3: yeah and and that, that's a, a huge investment and I think that was one of the things that Phil brought up in his his interview where it was um, a case of these are stuff that we've been talking about if we get in the Premier League we're going to do this because it's a million. Uh, sort of a million quid, and but he's sort of taken a view. No, actually, we need to do this in order to get into the Premier League. These these plans have been in place. I remember reading about Operation Premier League in about 2011. So the stuff that needed doing now, yeah. ten years later, it needs doing even more so now. And sort of the pitch. I know it's it's been a struggle this year because of sort of the bad winter last year,
2: COVID, and. But you'll always find an excuse, for it if you want to find an excuse, yeah. For it.
3: And and it is always that, like when we play academy games, they always move as many as they can away from the pitch, and just just and it's just we we always take the easy option away from things and sort of try try and do it on the cheap. And it, you just cost yourself money by doing things on the cheap. You cost yourself money. You cost yourself fans. But they getting getting these things in place. It's, it's all the stuff we've been wanting to hear. And even when he talks about the training ground, he talks about it being like a rabbit warren, and yeah. This training ground, I remember, or even like the South Stand, it gets opened twenty years ago, and it's seen as cutting edge twenty years ago. But twenty years is a hell of a long time. When you look at you look at a new ground that was built in two thousand and one, so say like Wembley, for example, and you compare that to two thousand twenty one with the Tottenham ground, and it's just night and day the difference between them. And and you think how how long things have been left. Like, sometimes, I, I remember, you, you go up to somewhere like Norwich or the Hawthorns or even Pride Park and places like that, and they're just miles ahead of us. Ashton Gate, another one where you, like you're saying, things like contactless payment, less queues at the bar, and it's like realising that people are coming there for an experience as well as a football game, and you've got to try and make that as good as you can. But like the, the fan zone is really good at Ipswich Town, and, yeah. but, it, but it's, it's something that Ian Milne, did and it's and it's something that was gone on about so often oh we've done a fan zone that's really popular we've done the fan zone it worked really well we used the fan zone in 2018 so yeah brilliant but the fan zone is one thing that should have been done it has been done pat yourself on the back and now do the next thing you can't just keep going on and on about the same thing that's been done as good as it is
2: yeah that's right and, and, and the fan zone is, is a very very good example because I, I one of my close friends was involved in that and pretty much ran it on on match days and they were forever when it came in it sort of just came in out of the blue didn't it and it and it just the revenue from it was through the roof straight away because you know it, it got it got packed on a nice day it was it was packed but they they were still coming up with ideas You now we can do this we can do this we can improve it we can get and there was a bottle bar there for momentarily and then it disappeared we can get food in but they were ch- they ended up they were charging too much for a, a a pitch for the guys to come and make food and as a result You've got some poor guy trying to sell a goat curry for eight quid at a a football ground. Well, you know, no one's going to be paying that. So they have just got to think a little bit smarter. And the more people they can get into the fans and the more kids they can have running around playing five a side, the more Fanta they're going to sell and et cetera, et cetera. People will get there earlier. They'll get there to watch a big screen if it's up there. and. Um, you know, there's there's a match well, on.
3: I, I remember the in in the World Cup, the fan zone was obviously a massive success. In that, they had loads and loads of people there, and I, re, I remember someone talking to me about that before. And they're like saying, we, "We're thinking of doing this. Do you think it'll be popular?" And it's like, "Yes, it'll be popular." And they're saying, "Because some people at the club are saying we should try and sell tickets for people to come and go to this." I was like, "If you do that, people just will not come. They won't commit to get the ticket to go and watch the game there." They didn't sell tickets, and they probably made it. So that's probably the biggest success of the summer. It was a huge success there. You see the video. There's hundreds and hundreds of people there drinking loads, eating loads. And that would have, if you'd have tried to ticket that, that would have been, like I say just 40, 50 people there and it would have ended up being canceled because it wouldn't have worked. And sometimes well, it, you, you've just got to take that risk. And I think that's something that going well, to be showed, very difficult. For the sorry, existing club, sorry, the existing club staff is going to be very difficult for them to now get in the, get into that mindset of it because they've yeah. been so browbeaten by the previous
2: regime. Well, it sort of showed, didn't it? Do you remember they did that um, concert? Didn't they? I can't think who the hell was coming along, but they sold, you know, a dozen tickets to it, didn't they? They had to, yeah. had to bid the whole thing in the end. Cause yeah. as you, as you say, people aren't going to pay to come along and do it. They just expect it to be open. And once they're inside, they'll, they'll buy a beer and, and whatever from there on in. Yeah. Um, one actually a little tip. Well, was a bit about the um, the cobble text on the on the side of the stand and things like that. That was quite a nice little little touch, wasn't it?
3: Yeah, there've been some sort of nice touches from from all the sort of all the owners as well. They 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 seem to get it, don't they? And I think especially sort of Mike O'Leary and Mark Ashton having that West Brom connection, who were obviously a big side at that sort of late seventies era, having their golden era at the same time as we did. Admit the was quite a bit longer and more successful but it's um I'd say they 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 do just seem to have a sort of treat Ipswich with the respect it deserves as a football club and it's now up to them to get it back on that standing and I say I I, like I say you look at the ground even around the town centre it's they need to try and raise the profile of it in the town and sort of people People from Ipswich are very happy to talk down the talk down the town, talk down the football club. But ultimately, we're an hour from London on the train. We're quite an easy access to sort to, to, to get across to. I think if I was an, if I was an away fan, it would be one of my favourite away days. Just jumping on the train, yeah. knowing you've got a pub waiting for you outside the station, and you've got the stadium that you can see as you pull into it. Keep and I job, think it's yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's just I'd say it's 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 so easy. I think.
2: I just think, in, term, in terms of the stadium, that that would be nice, wouldn't it? If if they could just spruce up that the approach to the stadium, approach along Portman Road. we've seen like um, snippets. Um, forgive me, I can't think of the guy's name who's like done the the mock-ups of it with the the lamp with the banners on and and the ex-players along the side of it. Just something like that, which you wouldn't think is going to cost the earth, but it would just make it make such a difference. Just to the whole experience of being at the football club. Rather, we just go we go there every. Every time, or we just sort of take it as rare, we just wander in through the same turnstile and don't worry about the flaking paint on the walls, things like that. But stuff like that would just encourage more people to come, families to come along, etc.
3: Yeah, I I don't know how many people have been to Ipswich lately as well, because I know a lot of fans aren't based here. But um, because of these new COVID traffic restrictions that are everywhere, Portman Road is actually closed to free traffic at the moment now. So at the top end of it by staple or what was staples, you can't actually drive down there anymore. You can come down from the other end, but it's a dead end at that point. So there should be a little bit more scope with the sort of working with the council to try and do something a little bit more out the back there because it is it's no longer I know they obviously shut it on match days, but it's no longer a effectively a through road it's anymore. Yeah, yeah it's, there's only a couple of places down at the end. So there should be an attempt to try and sort of make the stadium just show a bit more respect for the stadium like you say The, the that facade on the back of the cobalt stand is awful really isn't it it's, it's embarrassing when you look it at
2: it embarrassing. yeah well you know I, I, we let's hope that you know these guys have got a, a bit of cash behind them. there's plenty that they can do we all know there's plenty that they can do at the stadium to spruce it up and you know hopefully by august when we're we're allowed back in we'll notice the, notice a bit of difference won't we mm. um one of three what else do you go on about transfer policy we were talking about he had a he had a three to four hour dinner with last night with mike o'leary and paul cook where they discussed transfers and signings now this was presumably over a family roundhouse combo from our friends at favorite chicken (laughs) and all our blue monday listeners and watchers can grab 20 percent off your favorite chicken order by entering bm20 at the checkout and that website is chicken-ipswich.co.uk and there's a test match starting tomorrow and what better forget your scones and cream what better than a roundhouse combo euros When's the euros joe next friday
3: yeah next friday they start
2: Ah, perfect. Well, there you go, guys, BM20 at the checkout. Get yourself 20% off. That's a fifth. That's almost an entire quarter of a chicken. 20% off. Favourite chicken. Chicken-ipswich.co.uk, perfect. Um. So just in terms of transfers, what, what did he say here? Paul's been really clear on the type of player he wants. He's been clear on some of the targets. The club has started to move on some of those targets. I will take over as of today, and I'd like to think in the next week or so, we can get some of these across the line. Well, obviously, now we've got a cast of thousands working in the background and working at Playford Road. The priority is now to get some players in, and we've obviously got to get the, the right players in. And as he said, you know, the, there's already discussions going on with you'd think, you know, all being grown up about it, he's probably been unofficially involved in those discussions. In any case, but who are those? Who are those players, Joe? Who are those? Who are those players, and which which clubs are we looking to get them in from?
3: Well, I think it's it's quite interesting when when you read about their approach, and I think Paul Cook is a very good manager in the respect that you you know exactly the sort of players he wants. He has a very set style of what he wants to play, and he can effectively feed that feed that to these guys and in like I say we we know what he wants. We he wants full backs that can bomb on and play as wingers. He wants midfielders like Collis has said there. Lee Evans first in the door. That sort of player sort of players that are mobile, a tough, uh decent pass of the ball and and can get around the pitch as well. And and he wants those wingers and, and number ten so he can score goals and, and strike he can hold the ball up there. So yeah. it's I'm not saying you can just go onto a computer and type in, I want this, but you know, the sort of players you want to be looking for players that can cover 12, 13 kilometers a game, every game wingers that have a lot of sort of key contributions in the final third and that like that. And it's just, it's just a case of trying to identify the players that are available to go for. it. And when you, when you talk about which players are going to be coming in, you got to look at, Players that have played under him at Wigan, players that have played under him at Portsmouth, players that have played under Mark Ashton at Bristol City because managers like players that they can trust and you can do all the data and the stats and everything you want. But ultimately you can't, you can't, there's no data for how good a character they are and how they're going to work with you. That is something that can only be,
0: can only be done on experience. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: Blue Monday are delighted to be partnered with TalkSport Fan Network and NordVPN, giving you the best possible offering for browsing the internet securely.
1: Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times. delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.
2: And, and what you've noticed, you know, pretty much every day, there's just another name. So-and-so looks like he's going to be, av- oh, was it Albert Adoma today? Oh, yeah, he may be available for transfer for a free. I read um, early this morning, Sam Clucas, even though he's got a year left on his contract at Stoke, he's going to be made available if someone comes in for him you know before they get to pre-season sort of thing so it's not necessarily just going to be guys that are out of contract it's going to be guys who are in contract in the coming towards the last year of the contract that you know clubs pretty much want off their wage bill in any case
3: yeah i think there's going to be a lot of sort of 28, 29, 30-year-old players with a bit of championship experience who have taken leadership roles at previous clubs. You look at sort of like Sonny Bradley, who was a captain. I know that's obviously falling through now. Callum Connolly mentioned there is a captain. Um, Richie Smallwood, who I think is probably one that looks potentially quite close from what I hear. Another captain. captain. Yep. It's, it, you, can, you can see the sort of players he wants. It's that high-character players because... Really, when, when you look at the squad, we only really had two sort of high-character players, and that's Luke Chambers and Cole Skews, who were 35, 36. And you need to get some high-character players, leaders who are 28, 29, 30, because they are the players that will give you a seven, eight out of 10 every week, and they will allow everyone around them to play. You, you can trust them to do it. And that is, I think that's part of the issue the football club's had over the years. So we just haven't had those, those players.
2: So in terms of sort of what Graham alludes to here, and I've got written down here, is that one of the other things you said, I think recruitment is an area that we will invest in over time. But again, we'll bring the right people into that, whether that's technical recruitment, whether that's scouting, whether that's analysis. But, you know, how, how long can we wait to get that structure in place? You know, we need to sign a dozen players, don't we, in the next six weeks?
3: yeah and i think i think a lot of the early signings are going to be known quantities effectively we we're not going to be trying to reinvent the wheel in this transfer window we're going to be trying to get a squad of players together that can get us out of this league at the first instance and that's going to be signing experienced players players that have been there players that have done it and and gone from there like another name just come out there max power it's, it's it's they're the sort of players we're going to be after 27 28 29 30 year old players good experience sort of good pedigree good history worked under Cook or players he's admired when he's played against them that, that fit the criteria of the players he needs for his squad. That That's where we are on it and we'll see where we are in a few weeks. But I think after that, it's going to be a case of widening that net a little bit further, trying to look for some hidden gems who are either sort of a depressed transfer value, contracts expiring, available on loan, who, who fit into the criteria of a footballer that Paul Cook wants and they're going to be coming to him with players that they think will fit in his style. He's going to be going to them with players that he thinks fits in his style. And then it's going to be a case of sort of digging the data, finding out whether deals can be done. And then at that point, giving the manager the chance to yay or nay the… Yeah, I because be that, Earlier in the process, yay or naying it.
2: That was that was something he was keen to, to stress, wasn't it? That, you know, nothing… And that was another thing that the Bristol City fans were sort of… Alluding to was that he probably had more of a say in in transfer, certainly incoming transfers, than than they wished in terms of the manager's um, say on things. But he was very, very keen to say, look, scouting is not it's not my bag. It's not what not something that I do. And it will basically, as you say, the final decision, if not the initial decision, will be down to Paul Cook as to as to whether these guys are signing or not.
3: Yeah, I think everyone's going to have a chance to veto it as well. I think if Paul Cook wants a player and it just doesn't fit in with what Mark Ashton wants for the club ethos, then that's not going to happen either. So it's not just a case of they're trying to pander to Cook. They got they need to be working as a collaborative team, and I'm sure they will be to go from there. There's a comment just coming in about sort of needing to trim the squad if we want to bring players in. I thought that was an interesting comment Ashton made. He talked about trading players. He said about... yeah. Um, People, clubs aren't in a position financially to bring players in so i think there's going to be an element of trading players so does that mean he's kept players here to try and use them as sweeteners in deals and pushing people around that way it, it, it's, i don't know it, that, from what i heard it just that just made me think of that but
2: yeah that's right well the thing is if 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 a lot of clubs are in a similar boat in that you know they haven't got mountains of cash to spend but they do want to refresh their squad you know even if it's just to have different faces around the place which is sort of where where we may end up finding ourselves we're not crikey let's not get into conversations about the qualities of Flynn downs and, and andre duzel on this on this chat but having just different faces in the building and, and as you say by virtue of being able to do it just by trading a player and a swap player with a, a bit of cash thrown here or there is probably going to be an easy way of doing it
3: yeah and Ultimately, if you if you've got if you've got to get rid of sort of ten players, the players that the t- the ten players that other clubs are going to want are your ten better players, not your ten worst players. So teams aren't going to want they're going to want Flynn Downs. they're going to want Andre Dazel, and if you're doing deals, they're the sort of players that are going to be bigger carrots to put in deals as, as opposed to Geno Dinasian and players like that who or Aaron Drinnen. Team, and, teams aren't going to want them,
2: and that's the way. Oh, crikey, you know, one thing that sh- surely Bristol City fans can't argue with is that at what Ashton was good at was getting a decent fee for the players that that were sold by Bristol City. Now we can argue having had a manager who's already said, "I don't want any of these wasters in my team." That may somewhat devalue dev- devalue it and make it a slightly more difficult task. But that's why you've got a CEO with X amount of years' experience is to, to is to get as big a fee as you can in because again that's going to help you turn over and help your revenue and the knock-on effect of, of salaries
3: yeah you, you wonder if maybe Cook has maybe needed to row back a little bit from his comments now he's spoken to Mark Ashton about it because it, it like I say it felt very OTT what he was what he was looking to do and maybe there has been an element now that it's Actually, we need to take a more realistic approach to this of what is available, what players can you make use out of, and go from there. We're, we're still going to back you. We're still going to bring in the players you want, but we can't just shift all these players because it's going to be next to impossible to do so. So we just need to go from there. And like I say, how many of the current squad? Well, at the moment, I think we've got nineteen senior pros, sort of the over over twenty ones that is. And
2: but it's still far, <laughs> it's still but... far too many, though, isn't it?
3: you really need to see 10 of them. You need to see nine of them go, really, don't you? Nine yeah. go, nine in. And I think that's about the best you can do. But if like I say you look at those nine, I think it's going to be quite easy because you've got like Thomas Holy, David Cornell, Brett McGavin. I think Corian Darber is in that. So that's four straight away of players that we know are available. That that, that drops you down to 15. So it's a case... I don't know. It, 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 we, we're going to need to be busy in, in this market. And I'm, I'm sure they realise that and they're looking forward to the challenge ahead, but you just need, yeah. to, just need we'll, to get we'll, on with it really, don't we?
2: Exactly. And that's what we are. We are hoping that, you know, in the next week, there'll be, a, you know, here's hoping that within the next week, we've got another reaction pod for three or four free transfers along the lines of the ones that we've already spoken about. You know, the names that Joe's mentioned, the names that you guys have, have put in here, the ones that we sort of have got an inkling that we'll be seeing on the team sheet first day next season, Power, Evans, um, Keep calling him Richie Blackwood, um, Richie Smallwood. And, <laughs> yeah, um, so yes, yeah, so you wouldn't think it'd be beyond the wit of man to to get those in and get those across the line. But I was, I'm just a bit because obviously C- Cooked was very much Adam. This is going to be an exciting summer. You know, we're going to get refresh the squad. I want these guys out. I want these guys in. Surely he wouldn't have said that without having an inkling that he would be able to get at least you know not the majority, but a good chunk of the ones he wanted in. You wouldn't go out saying and then have to go back with your tail between your legs X amount of weeks later.
3: Well, we, we don't know, do we? We don't know what emotional state he was in and whether he, whether he felt let down by the players and he's maybe reacted badly badly to it and now he's taken a couple of weeks away to think about it. We'll, we'll never know how those, the sort of aftermath of those conversations Conversations. I think we've heard from enough trusted sources what those conversations were like. So, yeah. and then we'll see by August which of those players are back involved and can we push on from there. But ultimately, footballers want to win games and it is an exciting project coming up here. And if they don't go and they can come back to pre-season and flying and fit yeah. and ready to go, then you, you you have to hope. And I'm sure Paul Cook will give them a chance to, to go again.
2: Well, he's laid down the gauntlet, isn't he? You know, and it's, it's up to them... <sighs> It's up to them whether they, whether they accept or not or, or whether they decide they want to go with it. But just in, ter- in terms of the, the structure that he's going to put in place, and I say he's spoken about recruitment. He's spoken about analysis and the data bits and pieces. And his data dashboard, Joe, what the hell a data dashboard? It sounds like one of those um, – I'm watching Marcella at the moment. You watch that? Marcella, my God, that's pretty bleak. But just one of these, like, photos of people joined together by bits of string. Is it one of those? I, th- I
3: think it's more like when you work for a company and you get sent your end-of-months MI management information statistics around and it's lots of sort of pie charts and red-greens and yellows on certain areas and, and the sort of Y-scout things that get sent around, like spider webs on different players and things like that. But I've, I've always sort
2: of... Have we got the structure in place to do that as things stand at the moment?
3: well i guess so i don't see why not but it's just it's just going to take time isn't it to get it set up but i remember reading back i think it was living in the Vo- living on the volcano by michael calvin and he's talking about david moyes having a sort of a transfer room a black room or maybe southampton had one as well where effectively they've got their squad mapped out for this season next season the season yeah. after they've got in a list players coming out of contract they've got youth players built in there and it's just taking that overarching view of the whole club the whole system, knowing when you need to be replacing players, knowing that if a player is 31, 32, that you need to get a player replacing them coming in for next season and just actually thinking about stuff. And like I said, we've, we've gone from having sort of Lee, Lee O'Neill as the Academy manager, the director of football operations, the club spokesman, Marcus Evans, right-hand man to having a chief executive officer, a chief operating officer, the sort of head of performance, head of sports science, um, a recruitment team coming in more scouts from the sounds of things that we're sort of getting in a position now where even just by virtue of simple hours in the day, we now have a hundred and well, 150 man hours in a day of actually being worked yeah. as, as opposed to Leo Neal doing his okay. probably 15 hour days and Marcus yeah. Evans doing his 15 hour months. And yeah. it's just, just by virtue, like I say, if if these people are good, then you've just got more you've just got more time and more resource actually looking into things, haven't you? And that's 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 part of the plan. And that's part of the issue that we've had. We just have not had senior bodies able to run a scouting team.
2: Just so, just going on to that, and we had a, we had a question about it earlier. I'll see if I can um, dig it out. But we've got we've now got a, a chief operating officer. who sort of came in via the back door, as well as as well as the a ceo but is do you think that's i'm gonna use i'm gonna use the word glorified club secretary um is it is is he going to be doing the role that stuart hayter was doing so basically are we now a bit top heavy in terms of that strata of um people within the club we've gone from having nobody to now having maybe one or two too many do you see a couple of people leave I know he did he did relate um refer to Leo Neil didn't he, in his in his interviews and stuff but can you see a couple of people moving on
3: I think that's just I think it's natural that a couple of people will move along but um Ashton talks about the tempo of his work and the hours and the pace and what he expects from people and not not everyone will either be able to or be willing to keep up with those hours and the demands that has been put on put on them because People, a lot of people, especially if they're in the game, they're at an older age. They they don't see the f- their future in it. Maybe don't want to be working seven days a week, sixteen hours a day. And people it's will actually feel with, yeah,
2: with real pressure, pressure to, to get succeed. Result. And
3: yeah. I think Rich commented on it about um, sort of a comment I made earlier, just saying that when you look at the Sunderland till I Die documentary, you've got that Charlie Metham going into the ticket office saying, look, "We want to sell forty thousand tickets," and the and the attitude is. Oh, it can't be done. We won't do it. And yeah, he was a bit of a knob about how he went about it. But ultimately, hey, Rich. He got it. Um, yeah, Rich or Charlie? <laughs> I'm not sure, but he, he got it done, and it is it's a massive culture shift. And I think it's a massive culture shift for sort of people in Suffolk as well. Suffolk is not yeah. a high powered area of high powered business. Like I said, I've got a friend who sort of was a head chef at a restaurant here, and he's been used to working in London at the big big restaurants and his waiting staff. Just could not keep up with the demands he put on them. It's like, well, do you not want to go into this? It's like, well, no, it's just a holiday job, job or it's yeah. a, it's a job while I'm studying, and that sort of attitude where he's he's used to people being in the uh, being in that industry because that's what they want to make a career out of, and they're willing to give everything to do it. Where maybe we've had a sort of culture behind the scenes of people that are just probably going through the motions, going through the motions because it, because they've they've probably had the sort of the the sort of impetus beaten out of them by the previous yeah, regime stuffing, and,
2: stuffing knocked out of him yeah that's right just been beaten yeah. down over over years
3: and i think that's i think that's probably part of the issue with some of the players as well that they've been beaten down by the situation sort of even sort of, it looked like paul lambert himself was beaten down by the situation and that's just on that side and i think um i think it's um i don't know it's just i think it's just going to be a very very diff- different culture and i think yeah, there's a comment there from hch saying Working at pace and working all the hours, though, you can still work at serious pace whilst having reasonable hours. And I, I do agree that is the case,
2: but it's but, different, isn't it? Football is a different, a different industry.
3: Yeah, and there are t- there are times when you have to put the, the hours in. You might you might have a slow week one week, but the next week you might have to be working seven days that week because it's a home game and you've you've got that, and then you've got events yeah. on in the evenings. And I so say you look at you look down the road at Colchester United. There is events on in their ground every friday every saturday and you see a lot of staff have, have, have over the years have left ipswich to go and work at culture at their stadium yeah, it's yeah. why are people from ipswich going to work for culture it should be the other way around we're the bigger dog in this fight and off the pitch though they they sweat their assets better than we do and yeah. it's something that when when you speak to people there it's it's talk of oh well we we tried to run this for them but it didn't work because one one department was charging too much money to another department on the books. And then that department was then losing money. And it's just all the sort of negative attitude as opposed to a sort of can do. We we want to get this done. We, we will get this done attitude. And that's going to be, that's going to be a big culture shift for people. And it's going to be very difficult for some to do it, but I'm sure some will come through it. and There'll be a natural turnover of others and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out.
2: But, I, but we don't, but which I wouldn't expect Stuart Hayter to still be around any sort of his toes are sort of being trodden on. You'd you'd think that uh, Ashton said that um, Werhen, I think you pronounce it as, yep. is his right right hand man. He's who he, he would think who will do the paperwork relating to these umpteen transfers that are coming in, and just keep an eye on the the administration side of things, which is yeah. what the the club secretary does at the moment.
3: I guess I guess you wonder whether he is coming across to a bigger role because that's what he did at Bristol City. Is is his role being enlarged for him to leave Bristol City to come here? Or is he? was he always going to come with Ashton because he's his right-hand man generally? But yeah. I guess we'll find out in due course. But, yeah, it's a it's – a, like I say, I'm sure there's a lot of people fearing for their jobs there at the moment. Well,
2: speaking of which, Paul Cook. Here we go. I've known Paul on the circuit for a number of years. He's someone I've admired, actually, for a number of years. And I think he was absolutely the right manager for this football club. It's what this football club needs. And I'm excited to get the opportunity to work with him and help him. He then relates, sorry, refers to tempo. He works hard and he's passion, but at the end of the day, as you said right at the beginning, you now the CEO will be judged on results on the pitch, and Ashton will be judged on Cook's results on the pitch. So, how long should we start slowly? How long has Cook got? Who, who knows because
3: you don't know what the relationship is like between them and it's it's like i say it's we're always we're always going to be in a situation where the new owners haven't appointed the manager and there's there's no getting around that and that's always a uncomfortable situation for the manager to be in because it's then it's, it's always easier to sack someone you haven't appointed you you don't have that loyalty to them because ultimately loyalty to them is, is loyalty to yourself as well you yeah. you if you sack someone quickly after appointing them yeah. it makes you look foolish because it makes it look like you've made a bad decision and i think that's part of the issue that mark ashton has had at bristol city with the dean holden appointment he's he's made this internal appointment against sort of it seems a lot of advice from elsewhere he started brilliantly for four or five games and then after after a long after a long time it's ended up where he's just totally Bristol City have just totally fallen down the table and I think it been in relegation form for all by the first month of the season so it's a case that he then has to give give that give that guy time to get yeah. it right where Paul Cook doesn't have that doesn't have that luxury so Paul Cook is I say from the sounds of what he's done he's he's not somebody who's going to fail on somebody else's terms he's only going to fail on his own terms this season so it's a uh, like I say it's a it's a like I say it's it's just one we'll never know but Paul Cook is always going to be up against it, I think. But I think, like I say, he's, he's just got to start quick. And if he's backed, I'm sure he will.
2: But then, as you say, in terms of culture change, it's it's going to also be culture change in terms of the manager, isn't it? You know, we may, look, we don't know, but we may have to start looking at slightly more regular changes of manager should things not go as, as we'd hoped for the reason that Paul alludes to there. You know, these, when, when I spoke to plug when i spoke to mark detmer with phil from twtd you know he was talking long term and you know, appreciatively long term double digit year long term so you know we're not expecting babies to be thrown out with bathwater, but there will be increased pressure because we're now we now are looking further field. people are actually talking about the premier league rather than um, you know, mid table championship and just getting um getting by. Um cool. Okie dokie, well, go on. I said we have got two ways to make money.
3: The most obvious and uh biggest way is getting into the Premier League. That's that's obviously gonna be very difficult and take time, but ultimately if you get the Premier League the club is now goes from being worth 40 million to being worth four hundred million potentially. And that's that's sort of what the guys are looking for there. Or all, all it's clever transfer trading and Clever transfer trading is much easier to accomplish in the short term, but it's also very it's also very difficult because you you can't get anything wrong with it. And obviously the best model for that is probably someone like Brentford where they constantly sell players for 20, 25 million. But then they the important thing that they do is they go out and then recruit players for three to four million as opposed to trying to find gems for three to 400,000. But it's, it's going to be very difficult going forwards because all these teams that are smart recruiters your Watfords, yeah. Brightons, Brentfords, they no longer have the foreign market that they can go into because of the Brexit rules. So they're all now coming into it. I noticed Watford signed a 19-year-old centre-back from Grimsby over the weekend. It's That's not normally a market that they'd shop in, but they have to now. So all these clever recruitment clubs are going to be now in the same market as we are. You've got that there. So I think there's going to need to be a focus on the academy, but this this window is about getting a team good enough to get us out of League One this season, and that's that's what we've got to focus on before we start doing everything else, but everything else will come in time, but we've just got to get this recruitment
2: right, and... Yeah, see so that that was my thought initially. When when um, Cook started talking about the recruitment, and we started hearing about, you know, the money that was involved, I thought, well right, what we're going to do is we're going to get a core of players who are mid-20s who can see us up a level, and then potentially get us towards the top end of the next level as well, but... The more I sort of hear about it and think about it it's it, it looks as if we may need to start looking at two transfer winners you know one to get us up and then one to see where we 're at to take us to the yeah. to the next level potentially when when we 've got more more sway in the in the market once you get to the championship you know things aren 't as as restricted in terms of in terms of wages et cetera yeah they?
3: it's it's very difficult' cause getting people to getting people to drop down you 're talking you need to give them then a two to three year contract and then that two to three year contract can just become a sort of noose around your neck when when you do go up. If if, yeah. if they're they're not good enough to take to the next step, so it's going to be it's going to be very very difficult to recruit well. But that's yeah. why we've and got. I think we've got Faith Paul Cook as a manager who's recruited well throughout his career. Mark Ashton's recruited well at I think first at Oxford and then at Bristol City. They're they guys that have got good track records in recruitment, and they they're both going to need it.
2: Yeah, as you say, you know if the, the the players that you are going to be getting from the Championship will predominantly be players that other clubs in the championship don't particularly want because if they did they'd be able to offer them a higher level of football and and more money than than we can do at the moment um cool right Uh, guys we're gonna um probably shut this off sometime sometime soon but so if you've got any questions or anything i want to just have a shout out give us a ping us a message um one little bit of news that came out today actually and sort of relates to what we were talking about at the very beginning in terms of size and um, stature of club and that was the iFollow viewing figures that the EFL put out. They didn't put the figures out themselves, but they gave the top three clubs in each league and we were the number one viewed club um on iFollow, which you know in itself tells you something. I noticed Sunderland weren't in the top three, but you know, you can read read what you like into that. Some hooky one bloke's buying it and, and giving it to all his mates. Um but You know, again, it just goes to show. And this was at a time when we were playing bloody, appallingly
3: terrible season. Couldn't score a goal for Toffee. We're just drifting down the league. The probably the what felt like the fan base was probably the engagement. The fan base was at an all-time low with the club, and yet we're still the number one team for I follow passes in this league. I say we. This is what I mean about people sort of talking down the club, and it's just it's it's a, we're a big club we are i wouldn't like to say a sleeping giant but you look at the clubs of a similar stature to us and i'd always put us in that same echelon as sort of Nottingham forest derby leicester that sort of that sort of um sort of size club but we just we just not we're just not competing with them on the pitch at the moment where we
2: sh- where we should be yeah yeah right there's a couple of questions here and they are linked and they're going, I'm going to seamlessly segue into our plugs. hch Treble Nine Zero Cook getting an assistant. And then, oh, excuse me. John's got one here. What is the latest with Kieran Dyer? Is he going back to the 23s or will Cook keep him amongst it? Now, John. You just keep your eyes peeled for tomorrow because, as you may have seen, um, Rich has been very busy um, putting together trailers and teasers and uh, bits and pieces like that. We've got an exclusive interview with Kieran Dyer, Um, again, done with alongside Phil from TWTD. Phil and Ben um, had a chat, a long chat with Kieran um earlier tail end of last week i'm trying to think what day of the week it's now tuesday tail end of last week um and it's now been um cobbled together and edited and bits and pieces like that um by rich and the first half of it it's been cut into two so it it was on for an hour and a half um and the first 45 minutes were pretty much kieran talking about his playing career at ipswich and little bits on newcastle and, and england And the second 45 is more predominantly about his uh, coaching um, start of his coaching career and sort of what he wants to do and and bits and pieces like that. So that is really, really well worth a watch and or listen. Um, First part of that, part number one is dropping tomorrow. Tomorrow morning, I believe Rich is going to put that out. So keep an eye out for that on your podcast feeds or on YouTube. Um, Kieran Maybe not in part one, but in part two, he talks about, um, you know, his role at the Twenty Threes, uh, his involvement in the first team, and I've had a I've had a sneak preview of it. I I I watched it pretty much as soon as as soon as they stopped press stop on the recording, um, and to my eyes, he seems pretty happy with the situation as things are at the moment. I don't think he's he's pushing, um, you know, he. I don't think having had a a taster of it, he's now had his nose put out of joint that he's seemingly been demoted, we'll call it, back down to the 23s. He seems to be enjoying it. He still seems to see it as a learning curve. Um, you know, it, it comes across in spades that he's taken everything on board from from Paul Cook. He speaks ridiculously highly of Paul Cook, not so highly of Paul Lambert. He speaks highly of Terry Butcher and, and his involvement um, in the 23s. So, you know, I just think he's... Really, really enjoying his role at, at the club at the moment.
3: I do, I do think there's an element as well of maybe it might not be the wisest move to hitch yourself to the Paul Cook bandwagon too early for Kieran Dyer because if he goes in as his assistant, and like I say Paul Cook isn't going to die sort of trying this this season, it is going to be shit or bust for him. Really, he is going to be. Going after it, and ultimately, if things go wrong six to eight months in, and it all goes down in flames, maybe sort of Kieran not being too closely associated with Cook may not be may not may not be the worst thing in sort of in his eyes.
2: Yeah, yeah, very possibly, very possibly. But as I say, guys, if. Um, as I'm, and well, I don't know when part two is dropping. Rich uh, Friday. Friday. There you go. It's coming out Friday. So Wednesday and Friday this week. You know, honestly, they are really, really, really well worth a watch. If anybody obviously watched and, and listened to um, his post-match interview, I think it was Shrewsbury where he came out and did the press, wasn't it? And ended up talking for hours and hours and giving everyone the shivers because it was getting so late into the night as he as he went on. It's very, very much along those lines. You know, I, I was. I, I was sort of taken aback when he spoke that evening. You know, he, he thought, "Christ, is Kieran Dyer speaking so eloquently and, and at length and in depth about you know sensible football um, discussions?" And it really is along along similar lines. So yeah. that, that
3: was something that um, Andy Warren mentioned when we did the season review. If people haven't listened to that yet, me, Rich, and Andy spoke about that, and Andy spoke very highly of Kieran Dyer and just how but it seems that everyone he comes across, he impresses at the moment. I I know there was a few from Phil and um, sort of Andy that if he did get the chance to sit in front of Marcus Evans for the managerial job, that he would have a proper shot at getting it because he's that impressive a guy. And I think it's something that we're now starting to hear more of as fans with the Shrewsbury press conference with this from Rich, which I haven't had the fortune to listen yet because I like to listen on podcasts rather than watch on YouTube.
2: Yeah, yeah,
3: absolutely,
2: 100%. Um, although what what he does come up, and he said it, I think he said it in that in the interview is his eyes have been opened to how involved a manager is. You know, he's saying he's getting ridiculously involved at under-23 level, yet it just explodes at, at a first-team level in terms of pressure and, you know, it being a 24-7 job, et cetera, et cetera. You know, again, plugging it, it's, it's well, worth, well worth a watch and a listen. Um, and as Joe says... We've also got our season part de um, with Andy Warren from the EADT um, and and Rich and Joe um, going through the second half of the what was a fantastically tumultuous and roller coaster um, spring, winter and uh, denouement of the season. Um, Kieran dies out tomorrow. And then also uh, we've got our, our friend Kieran speaking of Kieran's at uh, Purple Sector events. I don't know you. We've we've retweeted this. Um, this is the guy that does the uh, evening with the players. Um, I went to one with Matt Holland a uh, couple of years ago in Brantford, and it's that was good. Um, he recently we call it
3: Brantford in Suffolk. Right?
2: Oh dear, what do you call what do you call the place just up the road that starts with an S? Then is it Sproughton or Sprouton? Sproting, aki Um, Forgive me. Um, so yeah, so I went to one with Matt Holland, um, and the, I say basically the, it's it's half and half. It's half an interview with with the player on the on the on the st- on the um, stage, and then it's a and A with the crowd. Second half, and then you can have photos taken with them, bits and pieces like that. There was one Johnny Walk did one in the last couple of weeks at Brightling Sea, Brightling Sea Regent. Um, and there's one coming up, which I think pretty much sold out. Marcus Stewart um, at Berry, I believe, Berry Town. Um, and then there's another one coming up in October with George Burley. And you don't very often see George Burley interviewed, to be perfectly honest. So there's one coming up with George Burley. Again, that's that's back at Brightling Sea, uh, Brightling sea region. And speaking to Kieran, he said that he pretty much sold out 50% of the tickets in the first week for that one, unsurprisingly. Um, so yeah, guys. If you, if highly recommended, and um, they're a good evening. Um, if you want to go and watch them, um, about twelve quid a ticket, I think twelve uh, quid a ticket. If you look at Eventbrite, e v e n t b r i t e, I think it is Eventbrite, uh, and then George Burley or Marcus Stewart, you'll find it in Google. Um, but yeah, or, or give us a give us a shout on Twitter, and we can point you in the right direction. But I say they're they're good evenings. They're well worth it. Um, Cool. Okay, Dokes. Well, if that's um, it from everyone, we've managed to squeeze an hour and seven minutes out of this, Joe. Christ knows how. I thought we were going to struggle after we got to about ten, to be perfectly honest. But well done to you. You you will deserve your your four pinter um, orange orange squash. Yeah. um Where can we find you, mate? Where can we look look out for your pearls of wisdom?
3: Um, at Joe Fairs on Twitter.
2: And the academy stuff's quieting down now for the for the summer.
3: Yeah, just, just waiting for the new scholars to come out, which I'm aware of who sort of 90% of them are, but just waiting for the official club announcement before I put anything out on there. But that's at ITFC underscore academy. Perfect. Good stuff.
2: All right, guys. Well, um, I say thanks for those of you who've uh, contributed. Thanks for your comments. Um, hope we've just given you a little bit of a, a reaction, really, to the to the new CEO. And I say, hopefully, fingers crossed, in the next, in the next week or so, we'll be... Doing something similar because we've got a, a flurry of, of incoming players to save our season next year. Right.
3: And remember to like, like. the Like
2: and subscribe, yeah?
3: Yeah, ring that bell.
2: Cool. Cheers, guys.
0: Thanks for watching or listening to the Blue Monday podcast. And thanks to those of you who have kindly supported the channel via Acast or YouTube donations. You can
3: follow us at the usual places on social media. And don't forget to subscribe so that you get our new shows
1: first. It's the promotion running. Everyone is gathered round to watch. The McNuggets share boxes are there offering much needed distraction. Your mate's already been booked for double dipping. But in you swoop to steal the last nuggets and claim all three points. Oh, and there is the Harry Clark fist pump to celebrate. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in at participating restaurant.